All right, everybody, welcome to Dojo Talks. Today, we're talking about spaced repetition. In the literature, it's sometimes called the spacing effect. And this is part of our series of topics in Ben Johnson's recent book, Perpetual Chess Improvement, where uh, last time, well, we're, we're addressing the topics in the book where there's been disagreement amongst the many guests he's had about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And last time we talked about end games and some people thought you could miss leg day. We had a discussion on that, you know. So today we're talking about this spacing effect thing. And I just wanted to frame it in a, in a context, let's say outside of chess, because this thing, the spacing effect is a psychological topic that uh, pertains not just to chess players. Okay, so this is my layman's understanding of it. Uh, almost, I'm sure all three of us went to school and did things like uh, physics class, chemistry class, math class, and there was this systematized chapter by chapter thing where you learn like one little part of the subject and then you go on to the next chapter and you get another little subject. The problem is unless you repeat what you did in that chapter, you're going to lose it. That's the idea. And so the idea of the spacing effect is you need to go back to chapter one and do chapter one again. And they've done a lot of tests on this, you know, this whole STEM education, there's a lot of research, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, I think, for at least to my layman's understanding, it really does translate well to chess. In chess, you have patterns, you have concepts, right? You have thinking skills. All of these things are similar to, let's say, learning math or physics or whatever you want to call it. So what we thought we would do, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff uh, in the show. We're going to talk about the Dojo training program, if we need to do more space repetition. Uh, but we are going to begin by just doing a round of, let's call it anecdotal evidence from our own chess lives of how, or if not, maybe not, we have experienced benefits from space repetition. Let's start with David, because I know he's always the ogre on these questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll start with a little quibble, with apologies to you, Jesse, but uh -huh. um, that that framing of, like, if you don't repeat it, you're guaranteed to forget everything, that seemed a little bit stark or extreme. Okay. Right? Like, I... I don't think the question here is to space repetition, let you remember everything and without space repetition, you lose everything. That seems like too extreme, no? Okay. Or like what's at stake? Well, I, I should, okay, let me reframe it, that you will have a greater likelihood of unlearning what you did unless you repeat it yeah. and repeat it more than once. Yeah. Um, yeah, and one thing that I have experienced outside of chess is that um, when I was teaching at a middle school a few years ago, there was a new science teacher who came in and he um, had a science curriculum for three years. And the way he had it set up was what he calls sort of like an upward spiral, where you cover these topics, but you come back around them at a higher level again and again mm -hmm. um, over the course of the years. Um, and he said that was like a very you know, modern approved way to do uh, science curriculums mm -hmm. or curricula, sorry, at, at that sort of age bracket. Um, 
from my own experience, everybody's memory, well, not everybody, but, you know, people's memories tend to operate somewhat differently, right? So for somebody, repeating things a bunch is going to help. For other people, it's going to depend whether they read it or listened to it or wrote it down themselves or turned around and taught it to another person is a technique that I've seen help a lot of people to remember things, right? So there's all kinds of different things that I think work better or worse for different people. So I would be surprised for almost any technique if it, you know, had a uniform benefit for all, uh, for all students. Um, and I can imagine there are some people with some kind of memory where they, you know, hear or see thing once, things once, and then it's just in. And, there, and repetition would just be a waste for some of those people. Um, you know, some people benefit from taking notes. Some people don't. Uh, some people do or don't consult their notes, right? But somehow it helps to take the notes, even if they never consult it. Um, in my own chess, I've found a benefit to repetition when it comes to learning end games and opening ideas primarily. Not tactics or middle games, sometimes remembering full games. I sometimes like to learn things by having like these full games memorized, uh, like, you know, classic games. Uh, and last year when we, when we did all those greatest games of chess history, I tried to memorize all of our games of chess history. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I memorized like, like 10 or 15 of them. And then I would check, you know, a week or two later if I knew them or not, uh, just trying to add to my vocabulary also because it's useful as a teacher. Um, and I find the, the repetition is definitely helpful for me from remembering some of those kinds of things uh, for me personally. Okay. Ghost. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it feels like repetition, space repetition, it feels like a big part in learning new things, like learning anything pretty much. Like the first time you do it, it's always very slow and mechanical. And then you have to repeat a couple of times and you have to repeat a couple of times quickly. Like if I'm, I don't know, playing like a video game or something and there are some some new mechanics or some keyboard stuff, it's like I'm going to be looking at the keyboard as I try to like play the game. And eventually I do it um, a little more and uh, and more and I get a little bit faster and quicker with it. So I feel like the space repetition, it, it's just a very typical thing. Like, I don't know, even growing up learning uh, times tables or like addition, you know, you would do a lot of like the same problems over and over again, just to kind of make sure that you understood what you were doing. Um, and when it comes to chess, it makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of people, it's kind of synonymous with chessable. But I mean, I feel like it, it's actually much broader than that, because um, I think it's not just chessable. Chessable is like one way of doing it. And I think Chessable definitely has like its issues, like could be improved and stuff. And there's different ways of repeating your material um, than just using the site. So one thing I often suggest is for people to store model games. So games that they find interesting or useful, especially for like their openings or structures that they play to just store them in like a, a study or a database somewhere and then review them from time to time. And it's not about like memorizing the game, but just about like seeing it every once in a while, like every couple of months or so and like reminding yourself of the ideas. I feel like that's super, um, super useful just seeing the game. And then once you play through a couple of times, you might even remember like a key idea, like, all oh, right, this was the game where there was a sacrifice or like interesting move. And 
you definitely won't remember the full game, but you'll at least have like some recollection. I think that really helps you um, when it comes to spotting ideas in uh, your own games. Um, so, yeah, like David said, I, I think it's most useful for repeating openings in endgames, uh, especially endgames. I think that's a big thing for me. It's like so much more useful to play out an endgame and do it over the board several times than to go through it in a book. So I think just repeating that endgame, and that was a big part of my training, was like I would try to hold some endgame like over the board in blitz by hand, you know, against a strong player. And that's what proves that you can kind of do it is if you can just do that multiple times. Um, we have that in the program as well. Like a lot of our endgame algorithms, you got to do it three times successfully in a row without messing up, um, which I think is is important. Um, so... Yeah, to me, it makes a lot of sense that chess learning would be affected by this thing because it feels quite popular in um, basically everything, everything else. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I'll say first, you know, for me, what's interesting is it's really a kind of a novel thing. And it's not just science books, but the chess books of the past also kind of built up in a chapter by chapter way, not revisiting. I think most chess books still do that, basically. You know, they're trying to build you up and it gets higher and higher, but you don't really revisit a lot of the stuff that you then um, learn at the beginning. Um, in my own experience, let me say, I wanna say a couple things. I think the biggest one in chess uh, was the Polgar Mates. And I, I discovered that really by chance because I was using it to teach kids and, um, you know, kind of like Proust, I had, an, I had an attitude about it. I was like, oh, I mean, I am, I don't need to do these. And I realized that by repeating them and then really getting into it myself, by repeating them with like by teaching and then doing it myself, there got to be this really instant visualization uh, joy that I could see things at the end of a line much faster than I was able to before. And um, then repeating it uh, really, you know, every couple of years I would do that book, the Polgar Mate book, and right, it would just get cleaner and cleaner and faster and faster. And I didn't realize at the time that I was doing some woodpecker or spaced repetition thing. I had no idea. I was just like, oh, this is cool, cool challenge. I'm obviously getting a benefit from it, you know. So um, <clears throat> that was an interesting example. I definitely agree with endgames. I think we'll talk about openings when we talk about chessable stuff. And I want to stress from my own personal experience outside of chess that there was a big, in hindsight, a big disappointment with especially me learning like advanced math calculus stuff where we would go through some chapter and it would be difficult. And at the end of that chapter, I'd do the problems and I would say to myself, okay, I kind of sort of get it. But you know, you're new to whatever material. You don't actually get it. You might you might just be like barely clinging on to getting this new concept, right? And then what happens? Well, you're instantly thrown into the next chapter, which generally doesn't even have much to do with the chapter before it in terms of like, you know, it's, it, it's hard in math to build off things in some precise way, right? So the, then we wouldn't go back. And then my frail understanding just wouldn't be solidified, right? And then it would basically become atrophied and lost. 
So I think that to me is a really good indication of how it's got to be similar in the chess world, right? Um, and so that's where I really get a lot of the impetus of like, yes, it makes sense. I think we can argue a little bit about how it should work. I think that's a very special question, but that it is a thing, um, at least both statistically what the researchers saying, and then also something I've experienced in my own life, I definitely think it's true, let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay, so should we get into the specifics? Sure. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like as it relates to chess, you know, you have chessable with uh, the openings, but they also have all kinds of books uh, on tactics, strategy, end games, and and so on. I guess we alluded to this already, but yeah, for me, I feel like um, when it comes to the openings, the best thing for me, when it uh, like for like memorization, is actually playing moves out over the board. I feel like we, we talked about this at some point, right. but yeah. I find playing the moves out with my own hand much more effective for remembering it later OTB compared to just studying it on uh, on chessable or like going back and forth in uh, in chess space. I would say the um, uh, the hierarchy is like just looking at the moves on the computer is like the, the lowest level. Then uh -huh. playing it out OTB is the next level. Then sparring it is one level above that. And then having like a classical game in an opening line, that would be the ultimate level where it's like, okay, if I have a classical game in a line, I'm going right. to remember a lot of details about it for months, mm -hmm. um, possibly. Um, for end games, I find it quite useful as well. Uh, actually, maybe more useful than, than the openings part. End games, I feel hey, like it's all about reps. Yeah. Before you go on, can I ask you something about how spaced repetition works on chessable, potentially yeah. with opening? Mm -hmm. Like, does it have a prescribed spacing? Like, does it tell you, like, it's been two months since you practiced these lines? Like, does oh, it yeah. test you on them? Does it test you more on lines that you got wrong some previous time it tested you? Or does it just sort of, like, ask you to go through everything? Or do you just go in and repeat whatever you want to work on? I think they switch it up, but in general, yeah, you're on like a schedule that they put you on. There's some kind of default schedule where you got to repeat stuff. Um, first, like it's kind of more frequent, like every day, then maybe every couple of days once you've done it a couple of times. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like, I think if you get stuff wrong, I think they usually put that up front um, or they have a feature where you can, let's say, study those specific positions or lines that you're, you're worse at, basically. Um, so I think that you have some control over how you do it, but I think they, they basically space it for you. They have a default that's designed to be sort of an intelligent version of it. Yeah. And they have a right. yeah, very... And, um, and for those of you who haven't done, I guess David is one of them, like you're supposed to, it, it just like the spacing gets further and further out. So let's say you do it then you repeat it in two hours, then you do it the next day, then you do it the next day, and then you can skip days as you, you know, after it's been, let's say, concretized. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the whole gimmick, of course, of chessable is to get you coming back again and again to not lose this magical knowledge and also the points you've gained uh, in doing the process. You just got to keep doing it. Yeah. There's a very helpful 
um, avatar of John Bartholomew. That's like you've got 400 moves left to review today, boss. You know, get get to it. You got you got 600 moves tomorrow and 800 moves Wednesday if you don't do any work. So you better you better hurry it up. And yeah, it gets you um, it gets you going. Now, okay, when it comes to um, woodpecker method, I feel like there's definitely a lot of debate. And Ben Johnson in his book, we were just looking at it. Um, he seems to be very much on the fence uh, if this kind of spaced repetition thing is uh, useful for tactics training and calculation, which is definitely, I think, uh, a really natural question. Um, from what I read in the book, seems like Ben kind of present, presents both sides, but is more like, seems like he's more skeptical of it than uh, a believer. Um, my whole feeling, we talked about this a lot, so people can find like, I did like a YouTube video on on this and and, and everything, but um, I did the woodpecker method in full. I mean, I definitely feel like it helped my tactics. And for me, the big thing is that like it just gives people a way to do a lot of good chess work in a very like accountable and straightforward fashion. You know, you do um, let's say like seven sets. You solve the same exercises over and over again. So it could be 300 problems, could be 500, a thousand, whatever. You do seven sets of just solving those problems over and over again. You try to solve them faster and more accurately each time you go through the set. And so it just gives you like a very easy and straightforward way to kind of like track your progress. And you do a lot of tactics in the meantime. And um, yeah, if someone did that same thing but mixed up their tactics and did just as much work. I think that would also be just as good. I don't know if there's anything special about the woodpecker method. I feel like it probably has to be like uh, tested more. But um, to me, it's like it's just such an easy win. <laughs> it's just like you get this book. It's got a bunch of good problems in it. And then it gives you a simple method to track your progress. You do the work. You get better at calculation. You then do it with another book and so on and so forth. Um, so I, mean, I, I feel like the there's a lot of like intangible advantages that come with it. I mean, you say easy win, but I guess the potential knock would be that when you're repeating it, you might be wasting your time. Yeah, and but you I could think... have already moved on to the next book, right? That would be the that would be the counter argument or whatever. That's yeah, that's the only counter. But I, to me, it's not clear whether it's more helpful to do like the woodpecker method in full, or if it's better to do like let's say three tactics books with the same number of problems but differing right. problems. But I feel like with the woodpecker method, it's like you're just put on this path to finish. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're just doing random books, I think like many people have the experience where they start something, they don't finish it. They get through like half of it or a third of it. And it's just like, I don't know. I think a lot of people have issues where they just don't finish stuff. So like, I don't know. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice where just like the book is a bit practical where it just sets you off on this track. Because once you start the woodpecker method, it's like you have to finish it. You can't just like quit halfway through. You just you got to get through it. And so you end up doing a ton of work. So why why wouldn't you be able to stop midway through that book, but you can through other books? Well, because it's just like you're on this trajectory already and it's like you finish the first cycle then it's like all right, i gotta do cycle two you do cycle two and then you're on the third cycle and then this might be the time where you quit another book but it's like why would you quit it's like all right now i'm in this third cycle you know i got it's just like very easy to follow you know once you do 15 days of a 30-day program it's just like you're you know it's inertia right it's just physics an object in motion stays in motion to follow. you just you just turn the page after you've read a page it's not like 
mysterious where to like go. Most people have this experience where they you just lose motivation. You just you miss one day because you, you were too busy that day, and then it's like you have nothing calling you to do the next day, and then mm. so many books okay. just left on the shelf, you know, unread. My guess would be you're better off reading three tactics books once than one tactic book three times. And I will say from my own experience where I have forgotten opening lines or model games or forgotten some kind of technique or method for, you know, queen versus rook or some end games of that kind of difficulty level and then repeating it helps bring it back. But I don't really have any experience of having solved a tactic and then someone shows me the tactic again two years later and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've completely forgotten how to do this tactic. Pretty much, if I've solved it once, I can solve it again. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to revisit the um, chessable for a second. Um, so with the openings, here's some of the problems that I've encountered with it. Now, by the way, Ben Johnson is kind of like, when his book, he's kind of like saying, openings for sure, tactics, maybe not. but. The openings, I think it's very delicate. And so I'm just going to sketch out a couple of the problems I've encountered as a user of Chessable. And also as somebody who's done Chessable courses. So first of all, if whether you created the course yourself or you are following somebody else's course, a lot of the moves will have been created by an engine. So even, yeah, it doesn't, you know, some engine will have shown the originator of the course, whether it's you or somebody else, some move, and it's going to be kind of whack. Like at first you might think you get it, but your human mind is going to be like, I don't know, man. I don't know if this move actually makes sense. And those moves are real tricky because you can memorize them, but a lot of times the human mind won't actually understand them. And if you don't understand them, then it's going to be really hard when it comes to the game because your mind, your your hand, like they're playing a classical game. You're like, my hand remembers like this weird move, but do I really even want to do it? Do I get it? And if you don't get it, you'll doubt yourself. You'd be like, maybe that wasn't the move really, you know? <clears throat> so that's the problem with a lot of openings. And that goes for, you know, the whole gamut, even 2,700 plus players, maybe even especially them, because they are you know, using these computer lines and they get really wacky. And it's very hard for the human mind to appreciate what the computer's saying. Yeah, I think okay, they're so reviewing their stuff all the time and the amount that they're trying to re-access right. is far more than what any of the rest of us do. So like how right. memory works for them is even more important than for any of us. Mm -hmm. Then also one of the things with Chessable that two more things that confuse me about chessable is uh the only way it really works for me is when i do a line and i when whenever i go back that i start from move one what chessable likes to do for its algorithm is to throw you into some position that you got wrong before but mm -hmm. i don't know it'll just show me some complicated position and the funny thing is, sometimes I can remember the sequence from that position, but I have no idea how to get to that position. <laughs> so I'm like memorizing the sequence from, you know, the move 18 or whatever, but I have no idea how to get to move 18. Yeah, which is not typical because you really never... connected. Yeah. So that's a problem. And the other thing with Chessable that's, I think, important with conceptual stuff is, uh, okay, so I created this course, Aggressive. Uh, repertoire for white according to dojo and uh, i really tried to be 
it to be philosophical in the sense that like we're not just doing computer moves we are following a conceptual idea of how we're going to start our attack and then what happens though is first of all what i what i like about chessable is you have the ability to explain yourself in video form and i think for openings it's very good to do like a video presentation to like explain what's going on yes you can write it out but speaking it is so much clearer um, and so I was really worked hard on my delivery in the video to make it really crystal clear what the ideas were. But then it makes sense. Not everybody's going to buy the video because the video costs a lot more. So then what people what happens is then people do without the video. And then I see in the comments there, from their questions that they haven't actually watched the video and haven't understood what the conceptual basis of a lot of the stuff is we're doing. And what did they do? They turned on their engine. And I was like, I'm totally confused here. Cry, blah, blah, blah. So that's a th not only just a knockabout chessable, but it's like the memorizing process has to be accompanied by some kind of conceptual understanding when it comes to the opening, right? With tactics, there's a lot of like uh, patterns. I would call that a lot of pattern recognition with the openings. I feel like if you're going to be good at openings, you need a conceptual understanding of what you were doing. Well, Jesse, you're saying has to be accompanied. I feel like the conceptual yeah. understanding, I mean, that's like the starting point, you know, before you can play any opening, you have to understand like. Fair, fair. I, would, I, I totally agree. Even you. before you get into, you know, like the move by move, um, yeah. which, yeah, that's. That's kind of the trap of chessable is because a lot of people they're like they don't know what to do in the opening they feel lost they're like i just need a plan for the first couple of moves and then i'll be good and then they try to like memorize stuff but yeah i mean most games they especially lower levels they'll they'll deviate from the opening very quickly from what whatever you've studied on chessable especially lower levels you know usually most games are like e4 e5 knight f3 queen e7 and then it's like okay <laughs> white has to continue from there um so yeah um it feels like yeah it's kind of this emphasis on memorization rather than understanding which i think uh would be nice to adjust and one of the things we've tried to do, I don't know how successful we've been, but we've tried to introduce this idea of sparring positions. So in our repertoires, and also if, you, if you're in the dojo, we say if you have your own repertoire, you have to identify what the key positions are. Just some basic tabias. The tabia just means a position you're going to get again and again. And then to play it out for a little bit, talk about it with your opponent. And that is a great way, I think, to get a conceptual understanding to get a grip on like, okay, this is kind of the dynamic of this position. So we've tried that, but that's all, honestly, that's been a whole tale of woe because it's hard for people to get together. You know, it's hard for people to understand when to stop the sparring, you know, that's been, a, we have our own challenges there. But I think like, I like what you were saying, Kosi, about the hierarchy of understanding mm -hmm. and right, sparring and then talking about it is the way up there. And then I totally agree, like a classical game and then talking about it afterwards, maybe at a post-mortem, absolutely. Um, and I'll say, actually, just in terms of openings, if you want to, I really believe if you want to get good at an opening, you got to play a bunch of classical games in it and then analyze those games and think about what's going on. You won't, you won't get a conceptual understanding like instantly, you know, you might have a glimmer, but you're not going to get like a deep sense of how a position works, uh, in, not for a while. Yeah. Experience anyway. I think people are going to ask about blitz. I feel like blitz is also helpful for reps. Mm -hmm. 
but you really have to like reflect on it so ideally if you play if you play blitz and then don't review the games i think it's like almost useless but if you play blitz and then you actually like review after every game like oh i went wrong at this move i had to play this instead or i didn't know what to do against this idea and then you like analyze it even for it's like like just like a minute or two then i think that's you can definitely get a lot of value from uh from that Um, should we move on to the next part? All right. Um, let me read you guys what our repetition currently is. Now, when we did this at the dojo, we weren't actually thinking too strongly about space repetition. We just knew that if there were certain things that you would have to repeat, we didn't have, or at least I didn't have that word in my mind when we created this. And so I'm going to read what our repetitions are, and then maybe we can debate it. Um, definitely, maybe we could even think on the basis of this discussion to increase the repetition. So this is what we got. So for our opening requirements, we say you got to repeat those after one year. There's different opening requirements for different levels. The higher rated you are, the more openings we say you have to do. Endgame algos, algorithms. We say after a year, after a year, buddy, you got to do that again, right? And what one of the actually in Coast you mentioned this, one of the great things about the endgame algos is we usually have three positions of a certain kind, and you have to win those, each of those three times in a row. So there's a repetition built in at the beginning, but then you have to do it again after a year. And maybe we could say even those got to be, you know, sooner, sooner. That could be an argument. Yeah, like I think so actually if we had, if we had the chessable model, it would be like. Okay, you did this position, boss, and now we need you to do it again pretty quickly. Yeah, like to make it clear for people. So these are these are tasks in the program, and um, normally when you complete a task, it gets checked off, and you get points for that. You get this dojo score, um, but yeah, we have it now baked into the site that if you do something, there is an expiration date on it, which does right. make sense. Yeah, if you study, you know, like Lucina Endgame one time. And then you don't study for like months and months and months after that, then yeah, you're basically just gonna not know how to do it uh, at a certain point. And right. yeah, I think maybe even I feel like we should maybe it should be even more faster than than we have it now. Because the way we have it now, it's like an intense an intense repetition. You got to basically do it like like six to nine times, basically, or and then and then after after a year. Um, but uh, it could be much, much more different. And let me just finish off reading this out. So mm -hmm. let's say the, the Polgar mates, you got to do those every three years. And so, for example, where at the, at the top, you have to do the whole book, basically, right at the bottom, there's going to be less of those. But if you, you know, if you were in that same rating band, you know, hadn't done them, you would have to go back in three years, say puzzle rush, personal record, whatever, three years, right? Rook endgame progression, that's a beautiful thing we've got where you have to play a match against somebody to prove your rook's, rook endgame skills. That's every two years. And in general, all of the books are three years, right? So that's, at the moment, what we have, what we could, could be considered repetition. And I think in our heads, it was, at least in mine, it was like, well, these things have to be revisited. But if we wanted to get real serious about this, you know, we could incorporate it into a quicker repetition in a lot of these factors. Yeah. 
it's not something we think about because it's like whenever I read a book, I don't think like, okay, now I have to reread this in three years. You know, I just right. <laughs> I just pick it up later eventually, maybe. Yeah, we haven't like spaced out the repetitions very scientifically or anything either. I mean, we put obviously one year, two year, three year, there was some thought that went into it, right? But it's not like a very specific method. And also a lot of these tasks start off with some repetition and then get refreshed, right? So like opening sparring and end game sparring, rook end game match, those things, they start off in general with some repetitions before you can check them off. And then there's a big spacing and then they can come back around. Um, and also you can avoid some of the repetitions. Shall I think you can correct me if I'm saying expressing this wrongly, but you can avoid some of the repetitions by graduating. Where like if you go up some levels, some of these tasks won't come back around for you anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of like proof in the pudding. I've reached a certain level. I don't need to redo some of these things anymore. I think, for example, that would apply to any of the books, right? Like once you're in the next level. Well, actually, there's some books that are assigned to more than one cohort. Yeah. But a lot of the books you would leave behind. And then some of the end games are spaced for like three or four bands. But but then at some point they disappear. So you're not all going to have to practice again, you know, rook checkmate or two bishop checkmate forever. Yeah. It makes sense. It's kind of a win-win. Like if you have to repeat some endgame that you've done before, it's like, okay, if you know it well, then it, it won't be hard. And then if you don't know it well, then it's good that you're repeating it. Uh, so I think, and then people can obviously intelligently decide, you know, if they want to reread a certain book or if they want to work on something else, I think that's not like going to be, I don't think it's as critical when it comes to reading books that you have to reread the information. I think it can be very, very helpful. And that there have definitely been books I've gone through like multiple times, but yeah, it's not like strictly necessary. Yeah, I've occasionally looked at a book again. I didn't actually know that we'd put repetition in on the book, so I missed that update. Oh but, yeah, books expire. <laughs> <laughs> Good but, um, buddy. but it seems a little bit odd to me. Like I can't think of a lot of books where I would think there's a huge value in rereading the book compared to doing something something new or some more, you know, practical exercise, right? Some more sparring, oh, practicing well, stuff. Oh, I definitely think But that. Jesse, you wanna you wanna maybe Oh, I'll defend the reading reading. Explain the some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um first of all, three years, you know, is a pretty long time. And um I would say, like, just taking the books that I have to read at the 2400 cohort, they're all very difficult. And there's a lot of those that a lot of ideas in there that I won't have understood the first time around and revisiting them definitely uh, worth it. Yeah. Um, I definitely think I think any uh, just let's forget about chess. If you, there is a good book out there, you should reread it. <laughs> if it's not worth rereading, it's not a good book in the first place. That's actually, that'll be my little tagline right there. Okay. That's just not for, that's just not just chess. I think that applies to fiction, nonfiction, you know, the whole thing. If it's really well written, uh, rereading it is always a benefit. But of course, that kind of rereading is a little bit less than spaced repetition is a lot of chess books. Let's say you read Alekhine's New York 1924, great book. Um, 
there will be like some things about it maybe that you'll pick up the second time you'll see but the space repetition in terms of a scientific idea of learning is more like there's patterns or concepts that need to be revisited uh and and that's not going to be the case for so much with books so i think the repetition with books is not really about spaced repetition okay um yeah, I feel like the rereading of books, like, okay, the 2400 level is very different than some other levels of chess, mm -hmm. right? So there's like elements of stuff that's just so difficult that maybe you didn't get it, right? And another time through, you actually get it versus like you got it, but now you're repeating it so you don't forget it. Um, And then a lot of the chess books I've reread was more out of like pleasure. Like the thing is so beautiful that I enjoyed going back to it and then I enjoyed it again. So I kept going some, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say with the lower cohorts, let's just take as an example this great Everyone's First Chess Workbook by Giannatos. That's kind of like the big one at the beginning. If you haven't um, graduated out of that book, like if you're still stuck, I, and let's say it's three, three years there, do that book again for sure. That book's great, man. That book's mm -hmm. great. That's like the basic tactics. Finding like the hanging piece. Boom, boom, boom. Do it again and again and again for sure. Yeah, I do think for the lower levels, it does make sense to read different books when it comes to not tactics necessarily, but um, just like strategy or like beginning game collections, like something like Chernev or something like that. I feel like uh, it definitely helps to just like learn about different concepts, but from different authors. Uh, I definitely read about like different positional ideas, not just from Silman, but I also read like multiple books kind of covering the same topic before I really felt like I understood it well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think there definitely is a benefit to seeing different um, perspectives, like seeing the same, even the same game, but being explained by like John Nunn or Dvoretsky or, or someone else, um, mm -hmm. it can be, can be very useful. Yeah, I mean, let's imagine somebody who is not graduating for two to three years from their cohort, right? Yeah. And now let's imagine it's not something like 2300 or, or 2400 or something that's like, you know, quite likely a final plateau or something like that, right? So let's say it's, you know, it's 600 or 1600 or 1200, et cetera. Mm -hmm. if, they don't, if they don't graduate after accomplishing all the tasks, and they're you know two to three years into working through that cohort's task list. The odds are that somewhere along the way, what they needed was some more like pluses to review their games and find like specific weaknesses and tell them this is what you should repeat more, right? Like you need to like work on the end games more, or you need to work on the tactics more. You know, like I feel like it would be more targeted at that point than just start rereading all the books, if possible, right? Like I. I feel like if it's really dragging, if we're talking years in a 100-point band, mm -hmm. um, then it's probably important to figure out what's holding this person back, what are the main one to three things, and then do more targeted work on that than just starting to repeat everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that makes sense when it comes to people that are that feel like they're really stuck or in a rut. Um, it's funny. Yeah. You said like two or three years, we definitely see people that, you know, they don't make progress for like a month and they're like, guys, I'm 
stuck. <laughs> I just that's because they have break. that expectation of 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 speed from previous improvement, yeah. right? Um, until like it's always going well until you get stuck, and then the first time you get stuck in chess, it's always like, whoa! Like I thought I could just like learn stuff and keep going forever. But I gave that two to three years because that's sort of the scope of when Jesse was saying the books repeat. So I was just wondering what's what's the use of having an automated task that you reread the book in three years versus like, oh, you've been stuck for 24 months. Like, you know, let's trigger a thing where a plus reviews your games and gives you like a couple areas to work on and says, like, go back and redo all the endgame sparring for your level. Yeah, and do but, the end um, sparring for one level below you or something, if that's truly like a problem, right? I think there's something really useful in that, in, in that um, getting high-rated players to review games can really get a lot of people unstuck, and it can save a lot of grief um, if someone... Because there are some like really common mistakes that a high-rated player could just point out immediately, and then uh, people wouldn't be like... you know, Imagine you're driving around with an orange in your exhaust pipe, your car is like struggling and then high rate players comes and like pulls it out for you and you're like oh i didn't know i could do that and then all of a sudden it's just game changer Um, right and you're like i was doing spaced repetition on this like driver's (laughs) manual you know and the dude's like your car is broken exactly um so huge value just getting regular reviews of your games one um i want to say two quick things so um for one, we have it kind of built into the dojo that the idea of the top of the cohort show is that, you know, me or one of you guys will go in, look at who's done a bunch of work but hasn't graduated yet. And, you know, as as time passes, we probably will have somebody stuck for two to three years. You know, we've been doing this only a couple of years now. But the idea is precisely that, is that, okay, that's the time when I really want, me especially, I want to go in and think about their journey. And it's useful not only for them, but then for me to think about the program and like, what was it that wasn't happening for them to not make to the next level? The other thing that's real tricky about space repetition that I want to stress that I think is interesting is um, one common mantra you hear from uh, high-rated players, I think like Ramesh has talked a little bit about this and I agree with it, is that when you get to a higher level, you need to be doing endgame studies on the regular. And one of the interesting things about endgame studies is they will activate your system to in a really powerful way, i.e. if you don't, like the hard ones, buddy, if you don't really go deep, you don't have any chance. Your first intuition is not correct, my friend, you know. And so one of the things about that that I think applies also to difficult books, what difficult, very difficult book that I'm reading now, it's a book Kosia turned me on to, I'm doing this in the morning, Recognizing Your Opponent's Resources, dude, by Dvoretsky, really difficult. I'm on my list of like some of, one of the most difficult books ever. In any case, a lot of problems where you're like, you gotta go really deep. Okay, so what am I driving at? That that you, a chess player, especially when you get to a higher level, you must practice going into that system too. And you got to do it on the regular, right? So like every day. And the end game study thing is just a way to force your mind to do some kind of deep work every day. And it's the ability then to think 
to go deeper that makes you a stronger player. And that's ultimately like that problem solving skill, <clears throat> kind of the heart of chess improvement. And it's not then the repetition of a particular pattern, though you might find particular patterns when you're doing this deeper work. It's also, and more importantly, I think, the repetition of expanding your ability to do system two thinking. <clears throat> so it's a kind of space repetition, if you will, because I will say from my personal experience, like if I'm dealing with a bunch of stuff in my mind that's like not deep, then I will come to the board in a more superficial way and I won't be able to just simply immediately go into like a system to tank. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Unfortunately, we can't um, do spaced repetition for everything. Um, like we'd like to be able to just learn our openings, learn our end games, learn our positional ideas, learn our tactical patterns, and then show up to the board. And then we kind of know what to do in any situation. But no, chess is too deep for that. And they're always like, yeah, you have to also develop your analytical ability. I mean, it's just, yeah, the absolute most important part. I, I agree. Um, but but space repetition, I think, okay, I mean, has, yeah, it can't do everything for us, but <laughs> it has a lot of, um, I feel like, yeah, a lot of, it feels like it has a lot of useful um, benefits from it. It's, it's around trying to improve your memorization of like knowledge, right? Whereas this other stuff is more skills, right? So the skills and knowledge are always two different elements of your chess playing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel they're interrelated, you know, like... Uh, yeah, they're not in a vacuum, but I mean... Like, I think actually a key disagreement that we have, Mr. Proust, is you kind of think like, oh, if I saw it once, <laughs> I got it. And I'm like, no, boss, those mates, buddy, I know you could eventually solve it, but we want it faster. And then the whole, you know, metaphor that I think is so important with basic stuff like that is the mates are like the layups in basketball. Yes, you can make a layup, boss. I get it. But mm -hmm. to make it efficiently... And to make it like with a lot of nuance, because there's a lot of uh, finger touch going on when you roll the ball off your fingers, uh, that's a skill and it's a deep skill and it's got to be again and again. And it's not something that any basketball player would be like, ah, no, nah, I don't need to do no layups, boss. <laughs> you know, you got to do your layups, bud. Got to do your free throws. It's got to get done. And I'd say, especially as an older dude, I think a lot of my, you know, the chess quest is just, relearning relearning so much stuff and you know trying to deal with the the loss <laughs> i'm losing stuff fast too it's going mm -hmm. away yeah i mean it's it's honestly kind of hard you got to learn your mates i mean you got to do your end games obviously and you got to study middle games i mean openings it's, it's too much man you have to make some choices right about what you're <laughs> what you're repeating and that's that's <laughs> always the potential knock on the repeating is like it's your opportunity cost of what else you could have done with that time mm -hmm. and i think also it, it at, at jesse what he just said reminded me you know about how it's going reminded me of like a very other important other axis on which you can judge this which is that how quickly you forget and what you forget changes over time for different people as well like mm -hmm. when i was younger like when i was in high school i guess I think I remembered all my opening analysis that I had ever done, full stop, period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, when I'd been doing opening analysis for only two or three years, and I did it, you know, on a board and talking to a friend, I don't even know if I wrote it down, 
much less reviewed right, it. Right. It's like I just like I w talked through the position with my friend. We like banged ideas off each other, and then I just knew it. Yeah. Right. And I didn't like I didn't repeat my games to remember them to be able to show someone else or model games. It was just like I knew every game I'd ever played OTB for for several years. Just right. no repetition. And now, you know, I can go over an opening line one week ago or something like that. And it can or maybe a month ago and it can already be gone. It can go so, so much faster. Right. And so. Now, if I wanted to remember stuff, I think I would do more repetition to try and hold on to it. Um, but then we, we also haven't even broached the t question of whether memorizing openings is like effective compared to something else you could do, right? Like maybe it's okay to just let yourself forget it all and focus on some other skill. We haven't said like what's the most efficient mm. thing to do, right? Just if you wanted to memorize it, do you need repetitions? Yeah, um, I also want to make the point that I feel like people uh, often underestimate, um, which for me, and you guys can of course disagree, but I feel like the intensity of how someone is studying kind of directly correlates to how long they'll retain it for. And the more intense and focused someone is while they're working, um, the the more likely is that that stuff that they're working on will stick with them longer, whether it's end games, openings, or or whatever. And I bring that up because I I feel like it's not something to take for granted. A lot of people they play chess on their phone, they study on their phone, they do this thing where they watch a YouTube video and then they study on their phone, and then the YouTube video like takes up a portion of their screen, so they don't even see the full screen of whatever they're working on because they're watching this video in the background. And then obviously they're multitasking, so it's super distracting. Like you can't get into like deep system two thinking when you know you're listening to to someone talk. Um, even if you're listening to like music, I don't know, it could be distracting. So I think that's just a huge point that definitely goes unnoticed. Chessable, as much as I do love. Uh, their company, I feel like they have a brilliant site. They have this like kind of like commercial slash like marketing campaign where it's like, oh, you can just study chess from your phone and you don't have to set up the position. And it's like super easy and convenient. But I feel like that that actually can be harmful. I feel like there's actually benefit from when you're going through a book, you got to set up the positions yourself. You got to follow the variations. You got to keep track of where the pieces are. I think that's just also just helpful for like your visualization, your board vision, like all these kind of smaller skills that we don't really concretely work on. I think, I mean, so many players grew up reading chess books, going through variations, having to figure out what's what's the position on the board, what's the position in the book. Um, and I think that really develops your a lot of your chess skills that you might then lose when it's kind of just like spoon fed to you super quickly with the, the spaced repetition. I think Jesse and I both agree with you for sure because that's why you have that hierarchy that you gave us before that Jesse agreed with earlier about why like playing an actual classical game, you're more likely to remember the details of your opening line than any of the other previous levels you gave. It's because very few people ever match outside of an OTB game the intensity that applies to their OTB games, right? And um, it's something that that we look for and encourage, right? That you do your your training work at a level that starts to approach that. But I've got lots of people who say, you know, if I try to play a practice game with you outside of a tournament, I can never bring the same effort or level that I would bring at a tournament. I just can't play a good game 
uh, you know, just Thursday at 3 p.m. <laughs> without <laughs> a not, tournament. Yeah, it's not life or death. Did you recently get mated? Well, it's time to join the Chess Dojo training program. Or maybe you just enjoy this fine content. Give us some money on the Patreon. I need to keep the lights on. And with inflation, it's really hard for Costia to be buying that avocado toast. Cool. Well, we'll probably wrap it up soon. One thing I'll say uh, that is interesting about this topic for the dojo is not only for the Rex, but we are hoping to develop like an openings interface. And we're kind of looking at it with, you know, there's a whole tech question behind it. But then when we do it, the question will be like, how do we set it up in terms of the spaced repetition for learning the openings? How will we say, for example, the different cohorts should go about learning the openings and how much time and, and yada, yada. So I feel like this discussion for me personally concretized the notion that, right, this is a thing, <laughs> this is a thing, and it needs to be applied within the dojo. And so how it effect, you know, eventually gets applied, we can discuss it and we'll fine tune it. Every year, I like what we do. We have a dojo, dojo 3.0 is going to be in May. And that's kind of like when the fine tuning happens every year, May 1st. And so like next couple of months, we can think about a lot of these things with the repetition. Yeah, I've, I've got maybe like a final point um, right. that you guys could comment on or not. But of the different things that you could use space repetition for, right? Openings, tactics, end games, or something else like learning classic games or model games or middle game ideas. For me, the most useful right now seems to me to be end games out of all of those because I feel like the skills that I'm gaining by repeating some of the end game sparrings and the patterns and stuff like that are going to apply more generally to my chest strength in more different positions. Whereas, you know, forgetting First of all, I don't really think I forget the tactical patterns, period. So, yeah, no, <laughs> that's at the bottom for me is like space repetition on tactics seems like 99% waste of time. But then the space repetition on the openings, like I just don't think it's going to cost me the same amount as like my endgame skills. So I, if I have to choose where I, you know, because as Jesse says, some of us are losing stuff really fast and, mm. and maybe we need more repetition, but we also make need to make harder choices about where we put our time onto repetitions because I also need to learn some new things and so forth, right? So um, so for me, if I were to put space repetition into my own personal program anywhere, I would put it most on my end games. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a good question. And I, I think with the end games, it's cool that we have at the moment, you have to do it every year. I think that to me that feels right, especially because each position really is uh, nine different matches. Um, for me, just my personal experience has definitely been the Polgar Mate. So something I repeated and I could tell that I got much better at it. And I definitely need to repeat it to keep the same level of instant pattern awareness. Uh, so that in my personal experience was the number one experience of, you know, really getting something valuable by repeating it. Uh, I'd probably go with endgames myself as well uh, in terms of what's been most helpful for me, like especially practicing uh, certain the theoretical endgames, practicing like how to win, uh, how to mate with bishop and knight against the king. You know, I just feel like that's super helpful. Um, 
But uh, I also think it, it's not to say that end games are the most important. I feel like the way it works is actually that like there's a certain number of end games based on your level that are critical. If you know those, then beyond that, it's less critical. So you know, low rated mm. player, I don't think has to be studying a lot of super advanced stuff. Um, so if you know your kind of basic end games down pat, and we have like a list for every level and so on, mm-hmm. if you know those, then then I think yeah, your your time is totally effective spent studying middle games, other stuff, classic games, and so on. Right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, that wraps up. That's that was the the I guess part two of the perpetual improvement series. Um, <laughs> talked about a topic it comes from uh, Ben Johnson's book um, thanks everyone for listening we will catch you guys next time